Tate Chronicles now transmitting. Welcome to the Tate Chronicles on Healthcare Now Radio. And now, here's your host, Jim Tate. Good day, citizens of the free world from border to border, coast to coast, and to all the ships at sea. I bring you a warm welcome. This is your correspondent, Jim Tate, and thank you for tuning into the Tate Chronicles. Join me as we cut through the fog that exists at the leading edge of healthcare technology. I'm really pleased to welcome a uh, friend of mine today. I've known for quite some time and always value his uh, commentary and thoughts um, on healthcare. Uh, it's none other than Shahid Shah. He is a really entrepreneur in the digital health and life sciences domains. He's a CTO focused on care delivery, innovation, life cycle management. Shahid is the founder and publisher of NetSpective Media and the founder of NetSpective Communications. Shahid, welcome to the Take Chronicles. Hey, thanks so much for the invite. I'm really looking for this con- forward to this conversation that you and I have privately all the time, but uh, yeah, good to sure have, have it publicly. Well, um, you know, the title of this, we're going to kind of call it Shahid's No BS Guide to AI in Healthcare. Because <laughs> there, sure there sure is a lot of uh, hype and BS out there. And if we can kind of get underneath the covers of it and get down to what's real. Uh, so let me ask you this, just at a very high level, what is everyone getting wrong about AI in healthcare today? Yeah, so uh, the two things that people are probably getting wrong is just saying that uh, what we see with the new technology like large language models is just a simple extension of the old type of AI with knowledge bases uh, and you know the old type of AI where uh, we're doing machine learning on structured data but really it's a brand new world. Uh, so I don't wanna add to the hype in the sense of uh, BS, but at the same time, there is a big difference between what we saw even as little as three or four years ago in uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence versus what these new large language models are doing today. That's That's number one. Number two is they're going a little bit too far into talking about how potentially physicians can be replaced or nurses can be replaced or you can replace, you know, really um, very good front desk personnel, all the kinds of hype around um, uh, uh, entire roles or positions being replaced. That's just crazy. That's not happening anytime soon. What will happen, though, is that if you are a doctor two years from now, who is not using uh, generative AI and these large language models and the modern AI, you will for sure be uh, not hired as quickly as other doctors, nurses, admin personnel. So take any role that you have. Don't think that the role will be replaced by AI. That's not likely to happen anytime soon in healthcare. However, if you have five candidates and two of them know AI and how to work with AI assistants and large language models, et cetera, in any position, but three of them do not, those two who have the skills are for sure going to be replacing those three who do not. So don't worry about your job going away, but you can become more competitive, you can become better at what you do, and that makes you more marketable, more skillful, better talent, and that's the way you want to think about AI uh, in the modern era. You, you know, one thing, Shahid, I've heard recently uh, about this kind of uh, concern that uh, a lot of jobs are going to go away. Um, I guess 
what I hear you saying is uh, certainly in the short to moderate term, if you're if you lose your job, you're losing it just to somebody who is proficient with AI. Absolutely. Yeah. So the way to think about it is, is if if you think about three categories of people, let's say you're a very uh, young, uh, you're about to graduate or you're less than 10 years into your career, you better be reshaping your career with agents and uh, artificial intelligence, etc. Otherwise, your long term career prospects are going to be dimmer than uh, if you were properly doing AI. If you're in the middle part of your career, like you've already got lots of experience, uh, could you be improving your skill sets with AI? Sure. But even if you're not going to put AI in in the middle of your career, nothing is going to happen to you because you have so much experience. It doesn't matter how much AI comes in, your experience beats out everyone else's assistant. If in you're in the latter part of your career, let's say you're less than five years from retirement, you don't have to worry about any of this, right? Because by the time any of this truly uh, impacts your day-to-day -day work, you will have probably retired. So think about the, if you're young, less than 10 years or 12 years into your career, you better be adjusting over the next 18, 24, 36 months. Otherwise, you will be in big, big danger. The middle career people uh, should be improving, but they can uh, leave things out. Late career, you can forget it. You don't have to worry about any of this if you don't want to. Uh, talk to us about AI in terms of a platform shift. Is this a uh, evolutionary step? Is this a revolutionary step like internet, cloud, or mobile technology, or or is it something different? Yeah, it's a great question. So the way to think about this is that uh, you know when we went from analog computers to digital computers, or we went from mainframes to PCs, when we went from PCs to the cloud the, uh, to the internet, and then we had the cloud. These are what are referred to as true platform shifts. And a platform shift occurs when you have to rewrite code from one thing to another. Like the code that worked on mainframes does not work on PCs, so you had to rewrite that code. The code that worked on PCs had to be rewritten for internet and cloud. What is being done on internet and cloud was rewritten for mobile. So those were true platform shifts. And what happens is that new companies in those platform shifts have a lot of potential opportunities over incumbents. So a new company like Google can beat Microsoft or a company like Apple, when it is faster to a platform shift like mobile, could beat a Microsoft. Or, But in the AI world, one of the biggest uh, questions to think about is, and this, this answer is not clear yet, but it's starting to get less cloudy in this one direction. That is, maybe AI is not a true platform shift because you don't have to rewrite all your code. But the incumbents are actually in a stronger position than any new company. Uh, better, uh, like remember, in a true platform shift, incumbents have opportunities that, uh, sorry, uh, new companies have opportunities that incumbents don't because they knew they know the new code. But in AI, everything depends on data. And so if you're a company that has been around for 50 years, with 50 years of customer data, customer intent information, lots of conversations between employees, your ability to harness that data and then train it with these new large language models, generative AI, et cetera, actually puts you in a much stronger position than an incumbent who might have a super cool algorithm or a, a super cool technique, but they don't have the data to apply to it. Now, think about this idea in healthcare today. If you're a hospital with 
25 years of EHR records for millions of patients, your ability to benefit from AI is wholly different than a new company with little or no patient data and, and, and very little ability to train their models to do new things. So if you think about it as a startup, if you had a mobile app and a another company, let's say was working in the, in the internet or on a PC, you had something that you could immediately offer to a new customer, a new company that incumbents could not offer. But now it's opposite, right? Whoever is the incumbent has enormous data and data mm -hmm. feeds AI. So if you're in the AI world, it's not the same as a platform shift before. You should say as an incumbent, if you shift your mindset, it's really a mindset shift with a little bit of technology shift that's occurring. And so that's a great question. Think about platform versus, uh, meaning a shift of the platform versus using the platform. And mm. I'm you know, saying to all uh, healthcare delivery organizations, you now have power that you did not in the past with technology because it's not the technology that matters now, it's the data that feeds mm -hmm. the AI beast as, as we say, that matters most. That's fascinating. Well, uh, let's talk about uh, healthcare in particular. Maybe you comment on some key advancements in healthcare that have been brought about by AI in recent years. Sure, yeah. The, the way to think about it is probably in three broad categories. <clears throat> so if you say, uh, think about patient education, uh, preparing patients uh, for their visits before they arrive at a facility, um, communicating with them, all of these can easily be augmented, not replaced, augmented by uh, things like ChatGPT or what we refer to as generative AI. There are lots of places where we hire banks and banks of humans to communicate with and coordinate um, uh, co uh, schedules and those kinds of things with patients. What we should be immediately doing is to start bringing in tools and technologies, not to try to replace humans, but to augment them so that the same human can work with 25 patients when uh, uh, phone calls could only work with one at a time. So this is kind of like an extension of what we were doing before, meaning like mobile apps and uh, remote scheduling and administration, patient education before they arrive, those kinds of things. Now you can do that with fewer personnel and give much higher value to the patients using this new technology. And the good news is, again, it's not a platform shift. It's not like you have to go and give everybody new devices and everything else. So that's one area is basic administration, basic edu education, uh, basic coordination kinds of things. The second area is more advanced clinical capabilities. So now this, you, let's say you're a, a nurse practitioner, you're a physician assistant, NPs and PAs now can share kinds of knowledge that only super experienced physicians used to be able to. So if you and I have a conversation with ChatGPT, Jim, we will get some medical terms and stuff coming out that we will not understand. But an NP or PA, who is not as well-trained, of course, as an MD, uh, will be able to take some of that and turn it into proper information for patients. Now, if you take an MD, the MD can get better. So imagine now that the average MD's knowledge can get them up 10%, 25%, and But the bottom 25, bottom percentages of um, physicians can jump by 25%, 50, 100% better. So 
think of this as lifting all boats in the clinical knowledge realm. This is the stuff where uh, Watson and IBM and others were starting to try to do this back about mm -hmm. 10 or 15 years ago. It was not going to work without large language models, and it didn't. But with large language models, you actually have the ability to say an NP and PA could speak like an MD. A less experienced MD speaks like a five or 10 year experienced MD. And this is all real. It's happening today. This is not pretend stuff. Uh, luckily, everything we're talking about in your no BS style here is it's not about the future. You could do this today if you wanted to. So first part is augmenting uh, administration. Second part is augmenting true physicians with real clinical knowledge. And the third part now, which is where the most of the magic is going to come in, uh, is being able to, for example, augment and um, uh, tell um, uh, imaging analysts, you know, people who look at MRI images, people who look mm -hmm. at uh, uh, x-ray images, radiologists in general can be significantly augmented. There's this idea that radiologists' jobs are going to go away. That's not going to happen. There's more and more radiology that's so complex to do. You're going to need the radiologists. But the radiologists can put simple tasks to be fully automated so they can go concentrate on the more difficult tasks of finding the more difficult things. Surgeries, well, it'll be very cool. Imagine that uh, you had a camera being able to watch every surgeon in every uh, surgery room in the world. And while the surgery is going on, there are inferencing engines which are watching the video, audio, listening for things and watching for things and telling the uh, physicians and the surgeons what they are doing wrong at the time that they're doing the surgery itself. This seems like rocket science. It seems like you know science fiction of 100 years from now. This is all working today. There are technologies called patient sitting where you can actually take a uh, camera, your iPhone camera or a regular camera, stick it in front of uh, a, uh, a disabled person, for example, because they just had surgery or something and you're trying to figure out, are they moving well? Or, you know, did they get off the bed or not? You don't need a human to do that anymore. You can actually put up screens, let the um, um, AI engines watch what patients are doing and react appropriately. It's gonna be really, really cool stuff. So if we can get our modern healthcare environments to start thinking about how do I get administrative burden reduced by introducing generative AI? How do I make my physicians smarter my NP smarter, my PA smarter, my RN smarter by using generative AI, then we can start to really focus on this idea of true automation, of being able to do the kinds of things that were just never, never possible before without being having humans in the loop. And this is all years away now, not decades anymore in that third category. The first two categories are here today. Let me say to our audience, if you're just uh, joining, I'm Jim Tate. And on this episode of the Tate Chronicles, I'm speaking with Shahid Shah of NetSpective. And the topic is the no uh, BS <laughs> uh, view of AI by Shahid. Um, and so you mentioned uh, uh, certainly AI being used in the healthcare setting, both kind of in the back office administrative aspects, as well as really at the point of care also. You know, the, there there seems to be almost a, a lot, for lack of a better phrase, Shahid, a, a gold rush, uh, and and a lot of hype. Uh, and and so, um, do you think uh, it, it kind of seems that for for startups, they may have the technology, 
but the legacy companies have the data. Um, and so if you were starting an AI company today in, in healthcare, uh, what would you be focused on? Yeah, the two big things I would focus on right now with the immediate opportunities are putting together what we often refer to in the entrepreneurial community as a tech-enabled service. So if you put together uh, a team of, let's say, um, uh, admin professionals, uh, a team of physicians and others who knew how to run a high-performing practice or a business unit in a hospital, let's say an emergency department or a surgery department, and you said, all right, we know all about this AI stuff. Like we know how to write ChatGPT prompts in our sleep. We know how to set up context, do our encodings. Mm -hmm. We know how to run the APIs. So you build that team. Now you go to hospitals and health systems with this particular uh, strategy in mind saying, look, you guys already have all the data. Let's partner together on uh, putting together technology-enabled solutions in your hospital for your benefit on the admin side first. Like how do we reduce the total number of mm -hmm. phone calls that need to be answering common questions. When a question, when a customer has a question about their um, uh, bill, uh, uh, by using uh, the training of the existing databases that are already in hospitals and health systems, you can make the people taking phone calls already much smarter so they can actually answer the question, not just take the phone call. So this is a very, uh, these are very big experiments being done at high scale and high volume now in call centers. So the idea was that you have an out, you know, you use uh, call centers in India or Indonesia or Philippines to because you need lots and lots of people. Well, you need lots and lots of people, not necessarily because lots and lots of people are calling and you need one person to pick up the phone call for every person calling. The reason why you have such huge numbers of people is that it's rare for everybody's answer to be obtained within one phone call. Right. So if you need to make five phone calls and talk to seven different people in order to get your simple answer to questions, of course, you're going to need big banks of call centers. So the experiment that is being run now is if we don't even put automated chat systems into place, but we just make these large language model systems, these generative AI systems and uh, give them to call center personnel so that instead of seven phone calls to answer a question for a patient and their bill, you can answer it in five calls in a month, then reduce that to three calls in three months, then reduce it down to one call. What does that mean? You're already more optimal. Your net promoter scores go up because patients are getting their answers very fast. And the total number of call center personnel do not need to increase every year. So you stay stable for a little while, and then you can start to actually reduce them over time. So here we're saying, well, what is this about this AI stuff? And what does this have to do with call centers? Well, it turns out that healthcare phone calls are a big, big deal. And yep. if you can answer questions in one or two calls instead of seven calls, you've done a big service to everybody. And that's where I would concentrate, right? So if you're if you if you're opportunistically looking at um a, an entrepreneurial activity or a new startup, et cetera, don't jump to saying you've got a better AI algorithm because your AI algorithm is completely useless without data. And what we learned about large language models, the L is the most important part, the fact that it's large, right? And mm -hmm. who has large data? It ain't going to be you as a startup. It's going to be the incumbents and whoever has the data that you want to start out with. So that was a great question. I'm going to take you on a journey to the past, maybe 40 years ago. I, I remember when the first 
electronic spreadsheets came out. I think the first large commercial one was called Lotus One Two Three. I remember yep. it well. Uh, and because of that, uh, you know, many many folks went out uh, and bought a desktop computer uh, just so they could run that one piece of software. And uh, the creators of Lotus One Two Three electronic spreadsheets had no idea of all the use cases that uh, that were going to flow from uh, from that functionality of the of the spreadsheets. Um, and so I kind of wonder if we're at a lot of that place uh, right now where uh, people have heard of AI, but maybe large health systems um, really don't have somebody and don't have any consultants who say, this is a perfect use case. Uh, when I used to be involved with EHR implementations, one of the first things that we would do would be go in and get electronic prescribing working. Uh, and as soon as people saw that, there was such value that and they thought, oh, that's fantastic. What else can you do for us? Um, and so, uh, it, and you work at, and that's uh, perspective. Is this the kind of, I know you do publishing work and technology, but in consulting, is is this kind of the stuff you do go in and say, you know, here's the low hanging fruit, let's do this first. Is that the area you work in? Yeah, that's a great example, and 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 your your uh, uh, example of uh, focusing on, for example, the the uh, e prescribing as a it wasn't exactly low hanging fruit, but it was immediate beneficial, and yes. then people could see it. So th this right. is the perfect example that you gave with Lotus One Two Three. That was a platform shift. You had to go buy something. You had to mm -hmm. change the way that you worked. Um, you had to use a new piece of equipment. What's really cool about this AI movement uh, is that. But hospitals and health systems do not need to buy anything in the sense of new uh, machines, uh, 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 you know, a whole bank mm. of servers, et cetera. What you have to do is adjust your thinking. So uh, taking your uh, uh, first question, which is, is this what we do at Netspective? Absolutely. So we would go in and say to uh, a health system or to a physician practice, where were you planning to hire the next person? Very simple mm. question, right? So they're like, yes. "Oh, I wasn't planning to hire anybody." We're like, "Okay, you don't need us. <laughs> we'll go. We'll go to somebody who's about to hire ten people." Like, if you said, "I oh, I need to hire three more call center people," or "I need to hire another call center," we say, "Okay, let's go focus on that." If you said, "Oh my goodness, uh, I have so many uh, messages coming into my portal, I need to b hire a scribe." Okay, let's let's go focus on the scribe. Why would you need to hire the scribe? Well, the scribe needs to read the content and reply back with XYZ. We say, oh, great, let's try that with generative AI then. So instead of saying, instead of telling uh, a hospital or a physician practice, let's go try to wonder what you're doing. No, just tell us, where were you gonna hire somebody? And let's start with that. That would be, in your terms, a low hanging fruit. Um, we, I can't believe it, Shee, but we only have about three or four more minutes. So uh, let me uh, ask this. Um, what about some of the ethical considerations when incorporating AI into healthcare? Has there been much thought about that? And what are your thoughts? Yeah, there's ethical. a lot of think yeah. there's a lot of thinking and talking about equity and diversity, et cetera. What is common right now knowledge is uh, that these LLMs, these very modern systems at the moment, are being used by a very small number of people, and they are all uh, rich well-educated, affluent uh, areas. Mm. So th that that is already creating a, a slight uh, equity and diversity uh, problem. But on the ethical side of this, I think the ethics 
uh, departments at universities are not going to be helpful here. They're not going to be able to stay up to date on it. We need to have day-to-day doctors, nurses, NPs, PAs using these systems so that they can get over the hump of knowing whether this truly is hype or can it help. And then they will tell us, just like uh, ethics comes from the, the bottom up, right? We are either an ethical society or we're not. It's an emergent property of a system, ethics is. But you can put in ethical uh, guardrails into AI, like ChatGPT, for example, does have ethical guardrails. If you try to say, uh, like if you put in this question into ChatGPT, what are the best ways for me to commit suicide? It's gonna say, hey, you should not be committing suicide. So there yeah. are ethical ways of doing this and and good companies like Microsoft and uh, Google will already do that. The other ethics, the, the on the edges kinds of ethics, uh, the edge cases, mm-hmm. those are gonna be much tougher uh, for a while. Exactly. Uh, where should people go, Shahid, to find out more about your work and your companies and your services? How can people get in touch and find out more? Yeah, the best place is uh, we run a uh, innovation publication called Medigy, M-E-D-I-G-Y.com. So head to Medigy.com. And of course, uh, our website is at netspective.com. So if you're if you're a physician practice or a hospital or somebody wants to try some stuff with large language models, reach out to us. So we'll be happy to uh, to chat and figure out uh, if there's something we can do with you guys. Well, I um, appreciate your time today, Shahid. And to our audience, thanks for joining us on this episode of Take Chronicles. And as I say, I offer a special salute to my guest today, Shahid Shah. Shahid, thanks for coming aboard today. You're most welcome, and I'm looking forward to coming back. You can find more information on this show's program page at healthcarenowradio.com. That's healthcarenowradio.com. Until we meet again, here's wishing you smooth sailing and safe harbors. Tape Chronicles transmission ending now.